Where are you? I don't really know what I expected when I answered the phone. I, you know, technology, we, we live in this great age, and, you know, these little devices we carry around in our pocket, we instantly know most of the time who is calling when we answer the phone. So I knew it was my uh, 15-year-old son when I, when I uh, clicked the little button and answered the phone, and those words came from the other end, where are you? I don't know exactly what I expected. I, I suppose I didn't expect... Dad, I've really missed you today. I just hope you'll be here soon because I want to see you. I don't suppose I really expected to hear, Dad, you're the best. You make sure I'm the places I'm supposed to be on time and you're going to pick me up soon and then we'll go home and we'll have supper and then I'll go to bed in my warm bed and all that will repeat the next day. I don't suppose I expected any of that, but maybe I wasn't ready for, where are you? Having been, you know, maybe, well, not even late yet, so, uh, but I understand where he's coming from. You know, he'd been at school since 6 in the morning to 6 at night with practice before and practice after. And when things sort of pile up in our day, it's easy at the end of that day to to sort of be impatient uh, for the opportunity to to go home and to do what we want to do or what we need to do or or even to, to, you know, have a meal or whatever the deal is. It's easy to understand how somebody could become impatient in that situation. I suppose it's easy to understand because we live in a world that's just sort of impatient, isn't it? Uh, we, we live in a drive through world, a, a little extra snow or weather uh, affecting the roads and, and uh, the traffic slows down and man, it's easy to see how impatient some people can get even in those situations. I've been there myself. It's easy to be impatient. When we sort of start to focus on you know, ourselves and, and not on, on others around us. It's, it's easy to become impatient. Maybe that's why, you know, the patience of God uh, stands out in such stark contrast uh, to our mostly impatient personalities. God is, is a patient, patient God. Even as we've been working our way through this series uh, Christmas all the way, we, we've sort of seen the patience of God play out as we've worked our way through that family tree of Jesus a little bit in Matthew chapter 1. If you turn uh, to Matthew chapter 1 and you consider the, the, the branches of Jesus' family tree that we've already experienced and that we've already talked about, and we'll, we'll come to the branch of, of Jesus' family tree that we'll investigate this morning, this, this boy, this eight-year-old boy who becomes king, King Josiah, to get to his name, we, we read through a, a whole list of, of others in Jesus' family tree. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David." 
David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconi, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Even as you read that section of scripture, it's really hard for me not to sort of speed up. You know, all kinds of reasons that you want to sort of rush your way through there. You know, they're, they're, they're names that are difficult to pronounce. And you can listen later and hear the ones that I mispronounce, and that'll be fun. And it's hard to get through there, and you sort of want to rush through all of those generations, even as we get just sort of halfway through uh, Jesus' family tree to King Josiah. And to me, it just reflects on the patience of God that he, he waits on us over and over and over again. And I think that this Christmas is a great chance for us to take advantage of God's patience and return to him. And the story of King Josiah teaches us four keys to returning to God, to, to, to sort of taking advantage of his patience as he provides us with opportunity after opportunity to stay connected to him and to return to him. So four keys as we consider this story of, of an eight-year-old boy who becomes king, King Josiah, in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, I think that this section of scripture teaches us four keys to returning to God this Christmas. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to, uh, to 2 Kings chapter 22, if you would. We're going to sort of work our way through this section of scripture. It's a lot of scripture, and so We'll, we'll see how we do this morning. Four keys to returning to God this Christmas. Key number one is to stay connected through his word. Let's look at just the first couple of verses in chapter 22 of 2 Kings. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother na- mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Pretty interesting setup to our story this morning. This, this kid, eight years old, becomes king of Judah, becomes king of, of Israel. And uh, uh, interesting that uh, we learned that he was eight and that he did everything that he could to follow after God, that he didn't deviate, that he didn't leave to the right or to the left of the path that God had selected for him. And that's really super interesting when you consider that this eight-year-old boy's, his family tree was not filled with great spiritual role models. Uh, There had been 14 kings between King David and King Josiah. And if you just do the history, if you just sort of study and make a list, you can, you can find charts of all the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, and they'll lay them out, and they'll sort of describe whether they were a king that followed after God or they were a king that sort of ignored God. And when you take those 14 kings, half of them just absolutely ignored God. Another sort of handful of them reflect, uh, you know, sort of my life and a lot of our lives, I suppose, that is filled with ups and downs of sort of paying attention to who God is and what he wants us to do and and then not so much and then a handful of those kings really did everything they could to pursue after and and live for God and the immediate family tree of of Josiah though was filled with men who just ignored him 
He didn't have a father who paid attention to God. And he didn't have a grandfather who paid attention to God. And, and so the spiritual legacy that Josiah was left with was pretty empty. And so it's remarkable that we read verse 2, that in, in a time, in a culture, in a society that reflected their leadership, that had sort of bounced back and forth between obedience and, and understanding and, and trying to pursue after God and not, and then worshiping you know, all kinds of foreign gods and all kinds of idolatry. There was, they, they lived in a culture, Josiah did, that was permeated by idol worship and uh, there were all sorts of kings that they were paying attention to, all sorts of gods that they were paying attention to, rather than the one true God. And so it's really remarkable that this we read verse 2, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of the father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. I, I guess what stands out to me is that here was a guy, here was a person from a young age, evidently, who decided, I want to return to God. I want to sort of stop the cycle that has led you know, our nation uh, astray and has led you know, my family astray and has sort of created all these problems and issues. And I want to return to God and I want to return our nation to God, this leader of that nation, King Josiah decided. He decided that he wanted to return to God. And it just made me curious, well, what did he do? How did he do that? And we'll discover as we go through the story some of the things that happened that, that helped him to do that. Probably we, we read, you know, his mother's name in the first verse of, of chapter 22. We don't really know this, but uh, probably uh, King Josiah listened a little bit to mom who maybe pointed him in the right direction and pointed him towards God. He certainly probably listened to other pious leaders surrounding him. As an eight-year-old king, you know, he was require, required some help in, in leading that nation as a, as, a, as a kid and a king all at one time. We'll jump ahead in his reign in verse 3 to the 18th year of his reign. And King Josiah sent the secretary Shaphan, son of Azala, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah the high priest and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust to the men appointed to supervise the work uh, on the temple and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord. The carpenters, the builders, the masons also have them purchase timber dressed uh, stone to repair the temple, but they need not account for the money entrusted to them because they are honest in their dealings. So in verses 3 through 7, we see how verse 2 is sort of playing out. Josiah wants to live for God, and so he begins by doing, I think, what he knows to do. He, he sends his secretary, he sends his uh, associate to the, the temple and says, make sure that the repairs are being made. Make sure the money that's collected is being spent on the upkeep of the temple. And so that's what Josiah, Josiah sends his secretary to do. He starts where with what he knows in worship and in following God. He begins with the temple. That's sort of what he sees. That's sort of what he understands. That's what he knows. And, and in this culture that was so permeated by, by idol worship, in this culture that was so permeated by people being distracted by other things and their focus shifted away from God, it, it's, 
easy to understand how you just have to start with what you know. That, that's true in our world today as well. I was scrolling through Facebook the other day and I clicked on an article. It's one of those articles that sort of you're thinking as you click on it, this is probably a huge waste of time and you click on it anyway, and which most of them I suppose. And so I click on this little article and it's, it's about this television show and the, the people on this television show, this talk show, they were having a conversation about Christmas and, and in some little community somewhere, you know, they, they decided that they had to shut down the, the Christmas play in the school. They weren't going to do it after so many years of traditionally having this play, and they decided they couldn't do it anymore, that legally it wasn't appropriate or whatever. And so the, the people on the show, the crew on the show, were having a discussion about that and whether that was an appropriate decision or not. And on this particular show, there's one actress who, who uh, is on this talk show now, and She said, uh, this is a quote from her, I'm not a religious person, but I know Christmas begins with Christ. Uh, Then she went on to say a a whole bunch of stuff that didn't make nearly as much sense, but she got that part very much right, huh? That Christmas begins with Christ, and and even non-religious people, this self-proclaimed non-religious person, understands that Christmas is about the worship and, and celebration of the birth of Jesus, and so that's why the word Christ shows up in in Christmas. It's the beginning of the story. We and and it's not unusual for those certain times of the year for church buildings like this one to be more full than other times of the year because in our culture we still understand that hey Christmas has something to do with the birth of Jesus it has something to do with that uh, worship that's where it starts and so we start with what we know and I think very much that's what Josiah was doing he was starting with what he knew and so he he sends these workers to the temple he says we're gonna start to take care of the temple again it's fallen into disrepair and we're going we're going to begin to fix it and so that's exactly what happens he begins staying connected reconnecting with God with what he knows so he sends his workers to the to the temple and we're at verse 8 now Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord he gave it to Shaphan who read it then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple then Shaphan the secretary informed the king Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king so something really remarkable happens. A couple of things, I suppose. The first thing that is, re- that is remarkable to me is that these folks show up at the church building, at temple, right? And they rediscover, they have, they have to rediscover God's word. That in itself is sort of remarkable, huh? And we wonder, how did it get to that point? But they discover the word of of God. And and most Bible scholars think this was either a portion or the entirety, probably the entire book of Deuteronomy that they discover. And then they do something that's really remarkable. They read it. Hilkiah the high priest has discovered God's word and he reads it. And then he reads it to the secretary that King Josiah has sent to the temple to make sure that the repairs are being made. And they read it together. And, and the high priest gives the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy to, to the secretary. He says, you need to take this to the king. He takes it to the king. And then they do something remarkable. They read it together. 
You know, Shaphan, the secretary, read God's word, and then he shared God's word. He understood the value that God's word had, and he understood that his king, who was doing everything he could to pursue after God, would want to hear from his word. After the holidays in, in January, we'll start our second semester of small groups. And some of you have participated in small groups here at Wallula Christian Church, and some of you haven't. And, and I just want you to consider how important it is to be a part of one of those small groups. Many of our small groups uh, participate in sermon-based small groups, which means that their study uh, reflects on and, and follows after the Sunday morning message. They study the same section of Scripture, and there's questions that relate to that section of Scripture and questions that relate to the message on Sunday morning, and it's an opportunity to sort of reinvestigate in a smaller group setting that, that message. And I think that has real value, and I think it's reflected in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 22, the value that, that those kinds of groups have, because here we... we discover folks who haven't heard God's Word in a very long time, maybe ever, who read God's Word and are moved by God's Word and decide this is important enough that I need to read it with, you know, my leader, my friend. I'm going to share it with them. And that's exactly what all small groups, but especially these sermon-based small groups, allow us to do. They allow us to reinvestigate God's Word together. They equip all of us uh, by just the opportunity to be present on Sunday morning and to study that section of Scripture. They then equip us to have a conversation about that section of Scripture that perhaps we've thought about a lot or very little between the time we first reflected on it on Sunday morning and again when we come together in a small group to discuss it again. But in any event, it allows us to, to read it and to share it together. And that's exactly what happens with uh, Shaphan and Josiah. They read it and then they share it again. They read it and they share it. And Josiah is going to hear God's word and then he's going to get all the people together to read it together. But first we get verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He realized that while I've tried to follow after God, man, there are many things that I haven't been about that I should be about, and there are some things that I've been about that I ought not be about, and he's, he's moved to repentance. That's the act of tearing of clothes, and it's just, it's just the king realizing that there's one God, and he wasn't it, and he needed to repent and change direction even, and pursue after God more. Josiah, though, wasn't satisfied with that. He went to those same group of men and he said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for, for the pro people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And so he sends this group of men again to go inquire, to, to seek out a prophet, to hear more from God's word. And I, and I really believe that that's how God's word works in our life. That's the potential that it has to help us return to him. Because even when we start sort of in small doses to study God's word and to hear God's word, something uh, builds in us to create a hunger for hearing more from God's word. And his spirit works through his word to return us and to keep us connected to him. So we can stay connected. We can return to God. We can be connected to him through his word. It helps us to understand who he is. It, it illustrates for us, just like it illustrates for Josiah, that 
there is one God and that we're not him and that we need to hear from him more. And that's what happened to Josiah. And as we study God's word, I believe that's what can happen to, to each one of us, that we can stay connected to him through his word. Uh, that's the first key. Key number two is to stay connected through worship. We can stay connected to God through worship. Uh, Josiah seeks the advice of this prophet at the end of, of chapter 22, and the, the message that the prophet gives to Josiah isn't a real positive one. It's not a fun one. And Josiah decides, you know, I've got to figure out what to do next. And that's where we find him in, in 2 Kings chapter 23. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. So Josiah, just like when Shaphan read God's word and then he went to Josiah and they read it together, he shared God's word with Josiah and Josiah was moved by God's word and so he gathers all of the people. He starts with the priests and the prophets and he gets those together and the leaders together and then all the people from the least to the greatest. He gathers everyone together to hear God's word together, to worship God together. Man, that is the story of Christmas, huh? You think about Jesus being born, and when Jesus was born, who were the first people that God, you know, announced the birth of Jesus to? It was, it was shepherds. Shepherds, these guys who were sort of ostracized from society, who were kept out of normal sort of social circles because their job took them away and because they weren't trusted. These folks, these guys were looked upon as the least of the, the population, you know, and God decides, I'm going to announce uh, the, the birth of my son first to, th to this group. And so he includes the least, and he, he announces it through these angels. You know, I, I suppose if there has to be a, a, a greatest in, in to think about, it may, might be an, an angel army that, that announces the birth of the Savior. And so the least and the great come together and worship together uh, this, this newborn king, this little baby. And the shepherds hurry off to find Mary. Mary and Joseph and the infant, just like the angel said, and then they went to tell everyone they could find. They had to share the news, and as they shared the news, Scripture tells us that they continued to praise God together. They continued to worship God together. It's remarkable that Josiah understands the importance of gathering together and lifting high the name of, of God together, and so he gathers all, all the people in the country together to hear God's word again, and they do. And then they renew the covenant together. What's that mean? The renewing of the covenant. I think simply speaking, that means that they decided that it wasn't enough to get together and hear God's word. That it wasn't enough to get together and, and worship together. To acknowledge God as God together. They had to acknowledge God all the time. 
They had to leave that place, and with their actions, and with their thoughts, and with their conversations, they had to acknowledge God. They renewed that covenant, and so their actions had to reflect God, and their words had to reflect who God was in their life. Real worship isn't just the coming together to hear God's word. It's not just the coming together to pray together. It's not just the coming together to sing together. It's living out what we hear and what we sing about and what we pray about in our everyday lives. It's actually, you know, providing that safe place to sleep for the under-resourced in our community or feeding the under-resourced or just sharing the love of Jesus as we, as we you know, teach uh, help in our kids' classrooms or, or shovel our neighbor's driveway or whatever it is to show how much we care for others around us. We're sharing the love of Jesus and we're actually living out that acknowledgement that we're making as a, as a group of folks worshiping God together. We can stay connected through worship, and that means coming together to hear God's word, and it means coming together to study, and it means coming together to pray and to worship, but then it means serving together in our communities and, and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And that's what Josiah was leading the people of Judah into uh, recommitting to that covenant, to, to acknowledging God as God uh, in, in corporate worship and then in service in the community. Key number two is that we can stay connected through worship. Key number three is that we can pursue him with all our might. Josiah would, would uh, commit to pursuing God with everything that he was. As he gathered the people together to worship, then he sent uh, people out from, to every corner of the nation, every, every place you could think of. Uh, we're, we're not going to deal with all that scripture, but if you go through and you read verses uh, 4 through 25, it's really just the telling of where Josiah sent people to wipe out any sign of idolatry in the country. And from place to place, they rounded up the, the, the artifacts of idols, and they destroyed them, and they burned them, they wiped them out, they left them uh, away, never, never to go back, at least in their minds at the time. King Josiah decided that with the elders and the priests and the prophets and all the people there, that they had to, they had to go out and with all of their hearts, who all they are, move away from that idolatry. You know, as you read through it, you'll discover that they even went to the temple to remove, you know, Asherah poles and other artifacts of, of idol worship from the temple itself, which is sort of remarkable, huh? And it's one of those wait, how'd that happen sort of moments. You, you know, wait, how'd we get there? Well, what happened? And we sort of read that and think, well, that would never happen to us. But it, it really is sort of how, uh, you know, our distraction from God's sort of creeps into our life. We, before we know it, we've, we've kind of missed paying attention to who is really most important. You know, Sherry has this advent calendar. It's a magnet thing, and it's on one of the shelves and just in the entryway of our house. And, and we came home from something the other day, and, and Zoe, our youngest, went in the door, and right away, you know, she knelt down where it's on the shelf, and she moved the magnet to the appropriate day. How many days are left until Christmas? And I asked Zoe, hey, Zoe, how many days are left? And whenever it was, you know, it was 11 days or 12 days or whatever, and she told me 11 days until Christmas. And I said, no, that can't be right. Well, it can't be 11 days until Christmas. That can't be this week. That can't be happening. You know, what, 
we just had Thanksgiving. You know, how did we get here? And we, we understand how that works, huh? We're distracted by, you know, work or, or kids or family or whatever it is. And you kind of look up and all that time has passed. And man, it's Christmas. And I thought, wait, you know, this is an Advent calendar. And I'm sort of like, well, that can't be true. It can't be that close to Christmas. You know, the whole idea of Advent is waiting and focusing and paying attention, anticipating the arrival of the Savior. And it's so easy for other things to sort of replace the attention that probably ought to be focused on our desperate need for a Savior, on Jesus. So when we read the words that Josiah had to send some guys to round up this this, uh, the idols in the temple, we go, man, that could never happen. Except it happens all the time. When our focus is just shifted little by little by little, and then we sort of open our eyes one day and realize, man, I've been missing it. I need to pursue him uh, with more of who I am. I need to pursue him with all of my might. Just like Josiah poured all of his 